here. So um, anyway, it's good to see everybody. Glad you're here. Uh, those of you are our guests, uh, we're so glad uh, that you've joined us this morning. Um, let me provide uh, just a few housekeeping updates um, as we uh, continue uh, to journey on through uh, the summer. First of all, uh, we started regathering on June 6th, so we've been regathering now for almost seven weeks. I believe this is our seventh week. Thank you again uh, to all those who made this possible. And I wanted to provide a few updates on how we continue to open uh, our ministries. Um, so our children's ministry just started uh, having uh, nursery uh, support for families, uh, newborn through two. Okay, so right before your child turns three, so newborn through two, not two two, but through two, there's a big difference, uh, is open now. Uh, we plan to open preschool and elementary classes starting October the 3rd. Okay, so that's not that far away. Uh, we're continuing to uh, recruit volunteers for our children's ministry. So let me encourage you, uh, in order to open effectively on October 3rd, we need uh, volunteers uh, to help us uh, share the love of Jesus with our children. So please make sure to go to our website and hit the volunteer button if you'd like to volunteer for that. So on Sunday mornings also, uh, we have adult Bible study classes where our, our adults learn uh, the message of Jesus as well. And so uh, starting August 1st, uh, we will have two in-person classes here uh, meeting at the church. You can find uh, those uh, locations in the bulletin starting next week. Our online Bible study class, which we uh, have conducted uh, for quite a while now at 9 a.m., uh, will take a break from August, the first Sunday in August, all the way through Labor Day. And then after Labor Day, on September 12th, a new class will begin that's a hybrid in-person online class. And so uh, for those who still uh, want to attend Bible study and worship online, uh, that will be at 9.30, but that class will also be uh, in person. And so there's an update on our regathering. We continue just to continue to uh, gradually reopen. It's such a joy to be able to gather together. Now, obviously, uh, we're going to continue to listen uh, to the facts on the ground as it relates to uh, COVID. We pray that uh, uh, our whole country, our whole world is beyond uh, COVID, but we know that's not the case necessarily everywhere. And so we continue to keep an eye on that and trust you uh, to do the same as well as we'll give updates. But anyway, that's the plan uh, for now. Now, we also have a really exciting development uh, this summer in that we are welcoming a uh, school in our area uh, to come and use our facility on a, a temporary basis. Uh, Pastor Brian is going to come uh, and share a few updates uh, in that regard. So, Pastor Brian? Yeah, starting next month in August, Potomac Crescent Waldorf School will be utilizing some of OTCC's space uh, to carry out their operations during the school week. So, uh, when you see PCWS, that refers to Potomac Crescent Waldorf School. They're, they're a private school with kindergarten through third grade. And so they're going to start the next school year here at our location. They'll be using space on the second floor, uh, a couple rooms on the third floor, uh, and one of the ones below the sanctuary here where the children are now. So we're excited to welcome them with open arms next month. And uh, one detail related to that, as we've prepared for their arrival and tidied some spaces. Uh, we've gathered some items that we'd like to donate uh, and like to share with you, the church community, and uh, the community in general. So if you are interested in looking at any of those after worship today, 
you can go to room 202 or the Fellowship Hall. Uh, the Fellowship Hall has a lot of children's items, so if that's of interest to you, you can look there as well. Thank you, Brian. And just a last bit of housekeeping, speaking of Brian. Uh, Brian and his wife, Sarah, are, are about to uh, welcome their uh, third uh, child into their family uh, and adding to our children's ministry as well. Uh, so Sarah is our children's ministry director. Uh, she is going to be on maternity leave uh, starting uh, today or tomorrow, right, Brian? Yeah. And uh, all the way through the end of September, we'll be back at the beginning of October. Uh, Brian will be on paternity leave uh, for a couple weeks taken uh, at his discretion uh, as he so desires. And so anyway, uh, we're praying for you guys and uh, excited for you uh, to welcome uh, baby Hoysa uh, into the family, as well as we look forward to welcoming uh, him, her, right? Her. Is that news? Sorry. No, no that's good. Good, good, good. Boy, I'm just, uh, I'm really doing it today. Uh, anything else? That's it. That's it. <laughs> Into the church family. All right. Let's get going here with our, our teaching time. Um, some of you might remember this. I don't think so. I don't think you might remember in person, but I'm a baseball fan. Most of our congregation knows that. And, uh, and I remember from the time I was a very young little boy hearing about this incredible, incredible thing that happened in the 1932 World Series between the New York Yankees and the Chicago Cubs. The Yankees were playing the Cubs. They were playing in Wrigley Field in Chicago. And uh, the series was tied, if I'm not mistaken, and the game, it was the fifth inning, and the game was tied 4-4. Four to four. And up comes the New York Yankee hero, Babe Ruth. So Babe Ruth comes to the plate, and the Cubs have a pitcher named Charlie Root, R-O-O-T. And uh, Charlie Root, the pitcher, threw uh, the first uh, ball, and it was a, it was a called strike. And the, the Cubs players in their dugout just really, really uh, gave Babe Ruth a hard time. Backyard baseball with my brothers and, and neighborhood friends and uh, calling my shot, you know, pointing to the fence and saying, I'm about to hit the ball uh, over the fence. It didn't always happen and end up the way it did uh, for Babe Ruth. Well, today we continue our summer series called Echoes from Exodus. And in this series, we're taking a look at how God rescued and redeemed the people of Israel from their oppression and their slavery in Egypt, and the incredible and miraculous work of God that we read about in the pages of Exodus, we find this work just echoing 
all throughout the pages of Scripture and prayerfully into our lives today. And in this grand story, we hear echoes of the redemptive purposes, the saving purposes of God most fully realized in his son, Jesus. And just as the events of Exodus shaped the identity of the Israelites, the life, death, and ministry of Jesus shapes the identity and the story of the Christian. So last week we looked at chapter 5, and it was in this section of the story where we see that things for the Israelites actually went from bad to worse. We learned what it means to hang on to the promises of God, to persevere when things in our lives seem to go from bad to worse, how to endure in a time of suffering. Today, if you'll excuse the analogy here for a second, our text opens with God calling his shot. God calls his shot here. Moses goes to God and he grumbles. And he says to God, you sent me to Pharaoh. And you know what? Things went from bad to worse. He made things worse for us. And by the way, why did you let that happen? That's my paraphrase. God then calls his shot. So if you will, turn with me to Exodus chapter 6. We're only going to cover the first 13 verses of Exodus chapter 6 today. And we're going to pick up the latter part of the chapter and chapter 7 uh, next week. Exodus chapter 6 beginning with verse one, it reads like this. Then the Lord said to Moses, now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But my name, the Lord, I did not make myself fully known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, where they resided as foreigners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment." I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians, and I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. Moses reported this to the Israelites, but they did not listen to him because of their discouragement and harsh labor. Then the Lord said to Moses, go tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the Israelites go out of his country. But Moses said to the Lord, if the Israelites will not listen to me, why would Pharaoh listen to me since I speak with faltering lips? Now we'll pick up the rest of that chapter next week. This is the word of God for the people of God. God said, watch what I will do. God called his shot. And in the story of how Exodus unfolds, this is like that moment between the time Ruth pointed and the time he hit the home run. God is saying, okay, this is what I am about to do. Now, enough about baseball history. This passage has deep theological implications that have very practical impact on our lives today. 
There's two things I want us to see about God this morning. I want us to see something about God's mission, which we'll get to in a moment, and God's identity. If you'll notice, when you read the Bible, God has no shortage of names. He is called by many different names. And in the opening chapters of, uh, in the opening verses of chapter 6, we see two of them. God said to Moses, I was known as God Almighty, or the Hebrew translation there is El Shaddai. I was known as God Almighty to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then God says, but now I am known as the Lord. The, the Hebrew translation there is Yahweh. We spell it Y-A-H-W-E-H. And that has not been revealed as of yet. And so we see here right away in the opening chap, uh, verses, two different names for God. El Shaddai, God Almighty, is the promising God of the covenant. But the name Yahweh, which in your Bible is usually all caps, L-O-R-D, that's usually how uh, English Bibles write that. When you see Lord, all caps, that's what you see. The name Yahweh, which God says to Moses is to use, that's the banner that Moses is to go to Pharaoh under. That's the banner that he is to, to do all the miraculous and powerful works that we're going to read about in coming weeks. This is, for lack of a better term, the marquee name, the pinnacle name of God in the Bible. It encompasses all of God's redeeming, saving purposes. It's the fullness of God. There is, is you, all of God's names are perfect, but this is like the, the marquee pinnacle name. Now, if you wanted to engage an in-depth study of Exodus chapter 6, you'll notice right away that there seems to be a contradiction with Exodus chapter 6 and Exodus chapter 3. In Exodus chapter 6 that we just read, God declared to Moses that his name Yahweh has not yet been revealed. Yet it is actually used a few times in Genesis, and it's actually the name God uses in the burning bush conversation, you know, that famous conversation that we covered in chapter 3. He says, Yahweh, I am who I am. Now, as you can imagine, on any subject of great importance, there are lots of biblical scholars with lots of different opinions on what is happening here. I'll just share one. One scholar, uh, Peter Enns, suggested that there's really not a contradiction at all. In Exodus chapter 3, God uses the term Yahweh, or I am, with Moses. God tells Moses at the burning bush that the all-encompassing reality, the God of the universe, the God who redeems and the God who saves, is sending him to confront Pharaoh to let the people go. Then Moses went to Pharaoh, and for lack of a better term, he had his hat handed to him. In other words, Pharaoh said, you know what, I don't care what your God says, I'm making things worse for you now. And remember, we ended chapter 5 with Moses blaming God. So what God is doing here in chapter 6 is a necessary repetition. It's a necessary repetition. Moses questioned the competency and the intentions of God. And God is saying, go back to the Israelites and then to Pharaoh and tell them Yahweh will deliver. Necessary repetition. When I was growing up, if I disagreed with something my mother wanted me to do, or if she didn't allow me to do something that I wanted to do, I would often ask why. And on occasion, she would give me a reason, and usually followed by me asking, but 
Why? And I would, this would go on and on and on. And finally, my mom would say simply, because I'm your mother and I told you so. Now, I knew long before those conversations that she was my mother. She didn't need to introduce herself to me at that moment. But what she was doing was necessary repetition. And that's exactly what God was doing to Moses here. So God revealed himself to the patriarch primarily as the God of promise, God Almighty. And now in Exodus, God is revealing another side of his character, another side of his identity. Here's what I want us to take home from this. We were created by the ultimate and only God of the universe. By his word, life came into existence. By his mighty hand, life is sustained. By his wisdom, life has meaning. By his love, we are redeemed out of darkness and into his glorious light. By his grace, we are sustained physically, emotionally, and spiritually. There are no words that can fully capture the fullness of his identity and his character. But remember, the focus of this series is echoes from Exodus. And listening from the echoes that we hear in this grand story, we see that God revealed himself to Moses in a way that was absolutely extraordinary. In a way, both in Exodus chapter 3 and now, that was never necessarily revealed before. But as we listen for the echo to move throughout Scripture, we remember that God fully and completely revealed himself in his son, Jesus. The most extraordinary revelation of God. The writer of Hebrews opens the first chapter by saying, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets and in many times in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he also made the universe. Get this. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. If you want to know God, look to Jesus. When you see the heart of Jesus, you see the heart of God. When you hear the wisdom of Jesus, you hear the wisdom of God. When you see and experience the justice of Jesus, we see and experience the justice of God. Perhaps one reality in life is that maybe we don't fully grasp the fullness of God's character and identity until we have experienced it firsthand. Maybe we don't know God as our sustainer until we've gone through an experience through which we need to be sustained. Maybe we don't know God as healer until we've been wounded or until we're ill and we need healing. Maybe we don't know God as provider until we have come to the end of our resources and we need God to provide for us in a way that we never could ourselves. We don't know God as our salvation and our redemption until we acknowledged our need for salvation and redemption. Could it be that the key to knowing the fullness of God is to live as if we are at the end of ourselves? Let me say that again. Could it be that we may never know the fullness of God unless we commit to living as if we're at the end of ourselves. 
Oh, sure, most of us can go and buy enough groceries to get us through the week, through the month, maybe in through, even through an entire pandemic. But what if we acknowledge daily that we could not do this without the provision from God's mighty hand? Oh, sure, most of us could, could talk with or even confront those who may oppose us and those with whom we may have struggled. Maybe we can do this on our own wisdom and our own intelligence. But what if we listed, lifted these relationships to God and we acknowledge God's wisdom and God's power to reconcile and to forgive if we follow his path. Oh, sure, most of us probably have health care and we can pursue a path toward healing when we're sick. But what if we live daily with the idea that without God's intervention, without God's blessing, without God's grace and God's mercy, modern medicine would have never been developed. Living as if we're at the end of ourselves helps us to see the fullness of who God is. I believe it will lead us to know God in a deeper way. This, the second part of this passage I want us to see, just for a few minutes, is the mission of God. As we return to the text, we find another one of those incredible Old Testament passages, just like the, the Sorley family shared with us. You know that, that, that passage in Genesis where God calls Abraham uh, to go uh, to the land that God would show them and that God will be, they will be blessed and they'll be a blessing to others. That is just one of these pinnacle Old Testament texts that they shared with us. Thank you, by the way, uh, for doing that. This is another one of those. It's right up there. Now we have Exodus 6, 6 through 8, and we find seven I will statements in rapid fire order. Take a look. It says, God says, I will bring you out. I will free you. I will redeem you. I will take you as my own people. I will be your God. I will bring you to the land. I will give it to you as a possession. Seven, just rapid fire. This is what I'm about to do. And as a special bonus, the word will is used one more time, but it's a promise that you, us, we will know God. What a mission. One scholar wrote that we can gather them into four declared intentions, redemption, as we see in the coming chapters, the covenant relationship that is sealed in the covenant with God. The people will come to know their God by worshiping God and following God's commands. And then the giving of the land, they're on the brink of the promised land. And as they're on the brink, Moses urges them to respond with loyalty to this incredible God that has done all this for them. I've mentioned this before, but it's, it's worth mentioning again. For years, I think the church has misunderstood the concept of, of mission. I think most of us grew up in the church, if we grew up in the church, with this idea that, that church has, does many different things, and the church has a mission, and they should have mission ministries of some kind. But this Old Testament text, and then echoing all throughout Scripture, reminds us that God has the mission that God is on mission in our world today. God is actively working to bring healing and sustenance and provision and salvation to this world. And oh, by the way, God fashioned a church for his mission. And so that means that everything we do, everything we do from singing to sharing in prayer to serving, everything we do has God's mission in mind. Everything that we call our own from from books to chairs to buildings, has God's mission in mind. Everything we do points forward to the work of Jesus 
in the New Testament. The cross and the resurrection is our exodus redemption. We belong to a new community sealed by the new covenant in him. We can know God through the presence of the Holy Spirit. And in Christ, we have an inheritance unlike the physical land that can never be conquered by anyone else and it can never be destroyed. And that's what God is doing. And that's God's mission in the world. These twin themes of God's identity and God's mission come together incredibly, beautifully in Jesus. This past week, I heard a classic sermon, uh, one of perhaps the best sermons of the entire 20th century by Dr. Shadrach Meshach Lockridge of Calvary Baptist Church in San Diego, California. He served uh, from 1952 to 1992. This message was preached in 1982. Now, someone put an audio of an excerpt of this, this sermon together, uh, and they mashed it up with images from the movie, The Passion of Christ. Now, to be sure, Jesus didn't look like the actor in the movie. That's not the point. But the point is, in this ep- excerpt from Dr. Lockridge's sermon, is we see beautifully the mission and the identity of Jesus. Take a look.